by showing you actually the latest satellite picture of Slow news beyond the headline. Now it's time for slow news, our segment on underreported global issues. Cici Aregi and Alicia Medina are with me today and they are going to walk us through the 10 conflicts that we need to follow in 2018. Cici, Alicia, where do we start? Well, do you remember Libya, Shubham? We all have in mind the images of the killing of Muammar al-Gaddafi by the rebels in 2011. This happened after NATO intervened in Libya to avoid a violent repression of the Arab Spring. And today Libya is a country run by warlords, militias and two rival governments. Right. On one side, the government of National Accord with its capital in Tripoli is backed by the United Nations and led by Prime Minister Fayed Al-Sarrah. Then there is the so-called Tobruk government elected in 2014 and backed by the head of the Libyan National Army, General Khalifa Haftar. Human Rights Watch estimates that the Libyan civil war has left 15,000 dead and half a million internally displaced people. And so what does the situation look like for next year? Well, elections will be held in, in 2018. The UN support mission in Libya is already starting the preparations. And we should uh, take into account the son of Gaddafi, Saif al-Islam Gaddafi. He was freed in June after a six-year imprisonment at the hands of a militia in Sintan. And despite being wanted by the International Criminal Court for alleged crime against humanity, he may be willing to run for the elections. Now, let me talk about North Korea. Of course, we couldn't leave this conflict out of our list. Tensions have been escalated in the Korean peninsula after Kim Jong-un started testing intercontinental ballistic missiles earlier this year. Pyongyang's main adversary is Washington, but North Korea also has rockets aimed at South Korea and Japan, where thousands of U.S. troops are based. And has anything been done to stop North Korea's nuclear armament? And do you think a war is likely? Every attempt to negotiate aid for disarmament has failed, and the UN sanctions had, have had little effect. China is North Korea's only ally and has also put some pressure on Kim Jong-un's regime. The US has threatened military force. Now let's listen to what Trump said last September. The United States has great strength and patience, but if it is forced to defend itself or its allies, we will have no choice but to totally destroy North Korea. Rocket Man is on a suicide mission for himself and for his regime. The United States is ready, willing and able, but hopefully this will not be necessary. Despite numerous threats, both governments are afraid of starting a nuclear war. Does it not mean experts are increasingly alarmed? No doubt one of the conflicts to keep an eye on during next year. Let's talk about Yemen now. It's a country where almost one in five people are starving. Alicia, how did we end up here? It all started in the Arab uprising in 2011. President Ali Abdullah Saleh was forced to step down in 2012. Then the vice president, Abdul Ramu Mansur Hadi, backed by the U.S. and Saudi Arabia, took office. In 2015, the Houthi rebels, who are Shiite and backed by Iran, ousted President Mansour Hadi. And in response, Saudi Arabia led a coalition against the Houthi rebels. Since then, the Yemenis have been under the bombings. Well, then the former president, Ali Abdullah Saleh, decided to join the Houthi rebels in the fight against Saudi Arabia. And last 3 December, 
Saleh changed his mind, announced the end of his alliance with the Houthis, and offered dialogue with Saudi Arabia. Two days later, Houthi rebels killed him. Uh, taking into account the fact that the former president was killed, what are the perspectives for the conflict in 2018? Experts point out that Saleh's death will lead to an escalation of a proxy war between Saudi Arabia and Iran. Meanwhile, 10,000 Yemenis have been killed and 3 million displaced. Let's move now to a different region and an issue most people have probably not heard much about. The disputed Senkaku Diayoyu Islands between China and Japan that have been rising the tension between both states. It is an inhabited set of eight islands in the East China Sea that both nations claim as their own. But why are people fighting over uninhabited islands? The empty islands are a key to fishing grounds, oil and gas reserves and also are a strategic jeeping route. Currently, they are controlled by Japan, but incursions by Chinese ships have been increasing. Fishermen are frightened by Chinese government ships that aggressively approach them, The Guardian reported a few months ago. So what are we expecting? The rising number of Chinese boats in the area put Japan in a difficult position. The state doesn't want to look weak, but using military force would give China an excuse for confrontation that has been waiting for a long time. Although this issue has been existing for a while, the conflict has been escalated in recent months. It's worth paying attention to see what happens there in 2018. Let's go back to the Middle East for a bit. Let's talk about Syria. Right. So since the onset of the conflict in 2011, over 250,000 people have been killed and half of the Syrians have been forced to leave their homes. However, this year we have witnessed important losses of the territory of the group Daesh. In October, an alliance of Kurdish and Arab forces backed by the United States captured Raqqa, the head of the so-called Islamic State. And in November, Daesh militants withdrew Bukamal, their last stronghold in Syria. And what do you think is going to happen next year? Well, it's difficult like, to say which will be the predictions, but according to Israeli security sources cited in the Middle East Monitor, Syria is destined to split into autonomous territories based on the geographic control of the local ethnic groups. They also state that Bashar al-Assad and his allies are likely to regain control of most of Syria's territory by the end of 2018. It's also been three years since Russia annexed Crimea as its territory and started a war in Ukraine before between the pro-Russian East and the government. Sisi, walk us through the conflict. What's happening there? Sure. Um, there have been something like 10,000 deaths since then. Attacks, shootings and any kind of disruptions happen every other day in Ukraine, even though the conflict became mainly invisible for the Western world. There are around 800,000 civilians still clinging to their homes on the front lines and about 100,000 who live in the grey zone between the Ukrainian and Russian-led separatist positions. And what are the current developments of this conflict? In September, Putin mentioned his plan of putting blue helmets in eastern Ukraine, but Kiev and the West dismissed its proposal. Western pressure in Russia has increased and the status quo is no longer benefiting Moscow, the Economist published in October. At the same time, a coup took place in the Luhansk People's Republic, the separated region in the east, and its leader fled to Moscow. A conflict we should definitely pay more attention next year and see how it develops. Don't forget there are elections in Russia next March, and Putin might be elected for his fourth term. 
Now we travel to Afghanistan, a country that has endured almost 16 years of war. Yes, and there is no end in sight for this conflict that started with the U.S. invasion in 2002. Today, there are around 10,000 U.S. troops left in Afghanistan, and the Afghan government controls only 64% of the country. And in 2017, the United Nations reported 8,000 civilian casualties. Yes, and from those, 60% of these civilian deaths were caused by the Taliban and 10% by, by Daesh. But the UN also points out that the Afghan National Security Forces for civilian casualties from indiscriminate aerial and mortar attacks. It remains to be seen the impact that the parliamentary and council elections that will be held in July 2018 have in the future of Afghanistan. Let me move to neighboring Pakistan, where suicide bombings, arm attacks and killing by the Taliban and al-Qaeda have been common in recent years. In 2017, over 1,000 people were killed in terrorist attacks in Pakistan and over 500 of them were civilians, according to the South Asia Terrorism Portal. Over 62,000 people have been killed by terrorists in 2003 in that country. Pakistan is known for being one of the U.S. allies on the war on terror, but this is what Donald Trump said in August. We have been paying Pakistan billions and billions of dollars. At the same time, they are housing the very terrorists that we are fighting. Let's rewind a bit. After 9-11, war has been raging between the Taliban and Pakistani troops. At the same time, the country's military and its spy agency, Inter-Services Intelligence, have also covertly supported the Taliban in Afghanistan, encouraging chaos there. Now, the Islamic State has spread to Pakistan, and it is believed to have around 130 nuclear weapons in storage. So what do you think are the future prospects for this case? The Pakistani foreign minister, Kawasha Asif, responded to Trump's words saying that the war in terrorism cannot be won by excluding or confronting Pakistan. According to Al Jazeera, Pakistan is looking towards China as a new economic ally, and that could change the power dynamics in a volatile region. Let's move now to Jerusalem. There have been some recent developments there, and it's been a key point in the long-lasting conflict between Israel and Palestine. Yeah, and the conflict seems to be reignited after Donald Trump decided to recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. He also decided to move the U.S. embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. The United Security Council condemned Trump's move. Why is Jerusalem so important? Well, Israel occupied East Jerusalem in the 1967 war, and since then they have been establishing illegal settlements in that part of the holy city. This contravenes the Fourth Geneva Convention and international law. The Palestinian Authority President Mahmoud Abbas said the U.S. could no longer be a mediator in pistols and accused the Trump administration of destroying the two-state solution. And the last conflict that we're discussing in the studio today, I understand that there is an ongoing conflict that's got to the headlines recently after a long silent period. Sisi, what's going on in the Democratic Republic of Congo? On December 8th, 15 UN Blue Helmets were killed in the North Kibu province in the Democratic Republic of Congo, and another 53 were wounded. Most of the peacekeepers deceased were from Tanzania, and it is the third attack of the UN troops in recent months. The attackers in this case are suspected to be from the Allied Democratic Forces, a rebel group suspected of also killing two peacekeepers in October. This is what UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres said about the latest attack. 
I condemn this attack unequivocally. And these deliberate attacks against UN peacekeepers are unacceptable and constitute a war crime. This is the worst attack on UN peacekeepers in the organization's recent history. So is this a crisis that has been going on for a long time? It has been going on for over two decades, and it all started with the refugee crisis that followed the 1994 Rwandan genocide. Over 70 armed groups operate in the eastern part of Congo, very rich in minerals and therefore a a hotspot for violence. The conflict has escalated this year after President Joseph Kabila refused to step down once his second term ended, thus not respecting the constitution. Elections are promised in December next year. And those were the 10 conflicts to pay attention to in 2018. Thank you very much, Ceci and Alicia. And we will have more slow news for all our listeners next year. Planet Mundus, the word in Aarhus. Every Wednesday from 7 to 8 p.m. and online.